or good evening or good afternoon, whatever the case may be on this rotating globe. We have a cast of thousands against tonight, and what we're going to do is what I did last night. I'm going to call everybody by their full name uh, when I introduce them, and then you can go and if you want to read their extended bios, which are linked on the uh, guest page. Uh, you can go do that, but every one of them has been here many times. You know their backgrounds well. It ranged from psychology to art history to technical, you know, nerdy engineering stuff, image processing, archaeology. Um, they are, among other things, generalists. So one of the things we're trying to put in perspective is how big is what's going on and how many ripples, how many implications uh, are there going to be from what we're seeing, which is a pretty amazing pattern, which extends, I should say, all the way to the moon. Now, um, one one thing of note, um, Kinthea, who normally updates everything for the uh, webpage before the show, has been uh, kind of trapped all afternoon with a uh, uh, family friend emergency situation. So she's at a hospital, and we do not know whether she's going to uh, get back in time from, you know, caring for uh, someone that's uh, special in her life. Get back in time to post the things for tonight's show. So what we may have to do is to talk about, you know, images on the radio without images. Oh, my God. Oh, (laughs) cats and dogs living together. Anyway, in the post-production phase of the other side of midnight um, over the next day or two can do will or her backup, which we're bringing online, but it's not quite ready yet. We'll post all the things that were supposed to be posted tonight. And so for the club 19.5 members, now isn't that an incentive to spend a few cents a day to be in, you know, on the cutting edge of, I mean, look folks, we're the only group figuring this stuff out. And how do I know we're figuring it out? Because the numbers are concurrent. You know, Stan Tennant, a friend of mine for many years, used to say, you know, he had this kind of catchphrase that when you're looking at fake stuff and you turn the crank, you know, nothing interesting happens. When you're looking at real stuff and you turn the crank, more real stuff falls out. In other words, you develop a trend curve. You develop a line of investigation. You know, we really need to do some shows on how do we know what we know? Because There's a process, and it does not involve reading Facebook and believing every damn thing that's posted by everybody. There is a process. We're using the process. It's producing stunning, startling results. And one of the results, of course, is that we've got the goods on Mons Rumker and what the Chinese have been up to. And it is, uh, again, confirming some of the modeling that I've been doing um, over the past uh, several months, nine, ten months since the pandemic erupted. And I am obviously one of the only people on the planet who thinks that the Chinese were the target of the pandemic, not the originators. That it was a serious attack because of a serious breach the Chinese have conducted by making things public particularly with their moon missions that they should not have made public. And we have demonstrable evidence tonight that this really severe uh, pushback as the term politically goes now from whoever has taken the Chinese to task has produced positive results on their behavior. The Chinese were going to land Chang five named after the moon goddess uh, in one place on the moon And they decided at the very last minute to to chicken out, to not land there. They did take images of where they intended to originally set down on the horizon. And by companioning those images with the specific mapping angles of the orbit, with the time of descent and landing, with the lighting from the sun, with the position of the moon in Earth around the, uh, the Earth in its orbit, etc., etc. We've been able to reconstruct a three-dimensional version of that trajectory, so we now know precisely what it is that Chang 5 photographed on the horizon, tantalizingly close, like only 80 miles away through a crystal-clear vacuum. No atmosphere, no twinkling, no distortion. And then they landed. 
much too soon, according to their pre-published plan. But by companioning this data with an oblique image taken from Apollo 15 back in 1971, a beautiful color uh, close-up of Rumker from the south. So it's like you see mountains on Earth. You see them as 3D raised things, structures. A lot of people have difficulty looking at satellite imagery because most of it's taken looking straight down. And they can't do that conversion in their head. Remember the Boeing study that a third of people innately can turn 2D imaging into 3D imaging in their brains? These are artists. These are, you know, um, um, you know, computer graphics people. These are movie makers. These are anyone who deals with the world visually as their primary input. Then there's about a third, according to this Boeing study, that can be taught as a class, as a, as a skill. You can actually teach this. And then there's a third that it's hopeless. You'll never get them to see or see. So this is why the culture seems to be divided up into a third see ruins, third can be taught to see ruins in other planets, and a third never will see ruins until they're right there in the middle of it, and then it's probably still dicey, particularly if they're of the belief that there are no ruins anywhere outside of Earth. Because a lot of, I mean, it's a huge psychology set of studies going back decades and decades that our belief systems really do impinge upon what we see and hear and believe. And if you don't think that's true, look at the half of the country that voted for the president versus the half of the country that voted for somebody else. And they, when you talk to them, they have a completely different universe perspective on what's going on right now politically. And I'm beginning to wonder, as I'm musing about all this, that's why I wanted to have Georgia on tonight, and Laura, and everybody, because everybody's going to look at this from a different perspective. Is it possible, given the model of the physics, that we're looking at the blending of two separate frequencies? If you extend that metaphor and you think of reality as a set of incredibly complex waveforms, in the field, like the ultimate, ultimate holographic model of our reality. What if half of the human species has been shifted slightly so they're seeing an overlapped, literal other reality experiencing that reality while they're still halfway in our dimension? And we literally, these two groups, bifurcated almost down the middle are seeing separate but totally consistent realities because those realities in those different frequency patterns are real. I mean, this to me is really important to track down and here's some data. Why are people on opposite sides of the planet back to the COVID-19 problem? Why as the curves now demonstrate overwhelmingly are thousands of people dying simultaneously on the same day on opposite sides of the world. And then a day later, a lot less will die, like a half or a third. Then the number jumps back up and the pattern repeats every seven days, every seven days, every seven days, seven tetrahedral spins in 3D. Is this telling us something profound about the mathematics underlying the ability to cohabit two simultaneous realities together and yet so that one half give or take of the population is seeing one set of frequencies and the other is seeing something totally different i mean i've really been struck for months by the implacability of these non-overlapping commonalities of experience this is not an aberration. This is something built into the furniture, in my way of thinking, into the physics itself, which by every objective standard is changing, changing, changing. We've been measuring it for years. You know, right now, I wish I had a working Accutron because my feeling is and I'm going to get off my horse and introduce everybody for an extraordinary evening, which has to do one thing tonight. It's got to answer the questions we posed last night, and I guarantee you, not every question is going to get an answer, but a lot of them are going to get enough answers that you're going to go, oh my God, that might, that might even be real. That's where I want to leave you. The possibility by doorway to exploring 
on your own, could what we're laying out tonight as part two of last night possibly be real? It's checkable. It's testable. It's called science. It's really not rocket science. It's much more basic. How do we know what we know? Okay, final thought um, before I introduce everyone. This whole concept of shifting malleable realities, suppose one of the reasons, one of the objectives for setting up these, you know, obelisks, equilateral triangles raised in the third dimension, symbolically tetrahedrons, at these latitudes and longitudes, what if each one of these, coming off what Bob Harrison said last night, is in fact a sentinel and inside their stunning polished stainless steel coverings, which have different modalities depending upon which obelisk you're looking at. They have different overlapping roles in piecing together the big picture. Suppose they have active torsion field generators in them. Of course, the mainstream would never pick it up because it's not EM. It's at the background frequency. The only technology I know that could pick that up would be the Accutron because it would detect the waves of interference of the increasing and decreasing inertia, the mass of the tuning fork vibrating within the field. That's the only technology I know that is that would allow us to check this, but suppose they really are beacons, they're sentinels, they're designed, and here's where I get really out there. Suppose this is part of a pattern to energize and activate the grid. Suppose this is an active co-participation in the next phase of history that is to come, the stunning changes that Rick Levine and Laura and I talked about, you know, a few days ago, that in fact these are players and there's all kinds of deception and cross linkages and multiple level stories going on to hide the fact that, and I've got some, I've got some data on this. All right. Remember how I said, Andrew, I'm going to introduce you first that I felt that the photographers were part of the wrecking crew and it was all part of a Kabuki theater. Andrew, let me hit the right button. There you are. Andrew Curry. Artist extraordinaire, medical therapist, works with Hollywood, knows imaging, somewhat very left brain and right brain simultaneously. Have I said anything egregious? (laughs) No, we did that off here, Richard. (laughs) No, great. No, yeah. um, Thank you for sure. Uh, An extraordinary um, moment. In history, a lot of coalescing happening now. I'm just intrigued by the Utah Valley still. I had a whole bunch of images that, as we say, as you mentioned off the top, you know, Kinthea, who's our magician in the background. Well, see, this is where we get a chance to really shine, because if you're all really radio professionals, gang, my whole panel tonight, you're going to be able to describe in such a vivid way that the audience, even though they can't cheat and go to an image, are going to get the big picture this is up to all of us to describe what we're seeing so others can see. Absolutely. You know, Richard, I wanted to add one thing right off the top of the, the show. Uh, well, you didn't ask me, well, before you get into that, <clears throat> remember I said I have proof that the photographers are part of the record. Oh, group? yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, oh. remember, if you go to, and let me tell everyone, the new folks that obviously are here because they're relatives or they're friends and cousins and kith and kin said, be there, be square. You want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. Click on tonight's banner for um, Sunday, December 6th, part two of monoliths and pentagons and moons. That will take you to tonight's guest page under the uh, banner there. You will see um, something that says uh, fast links Click on my fast links to items. That takes you to my section of radio with pictures. Photo number one, the Utah monolith from the Department of Public Safety. You see the monolith, right, Andrew? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I do. And the beautiful dinosaur on the left. And then above him, a whole bunch of descendants, you know, falcons, eagles, birds of prey that are all 
part of the dinosaur line. Yes, uh, yes. There's even somebody up there that looks like Roddy McDowell in his makeup for um, uh, um, what was that? Um, oh, the Planet, Planet, of, the, Planet, Planet of, the of the Apes. Yes, yes. Yeah. Really, look at him. Okay, on the no, other side, it's, it's all over the place. It's yeah, all over. Sure. It's all, all right. on the yeah. other side of the canyon, which is to the right of the monolith and to the right of the crack <clears throat> that enticed our intrepid explorers, but they never went and looked. I still can't get over that. You're a scientist. You see this thing in the middle of nowhere that's pointing to that crack. You make mention of it on the tape, and you never go and look? Yeah. All right. Right to the right of the crack, what do you see? Well, it looks like um, Edward Monk's The Scream. Exactly. Precisely. And then our kitties are to the right of that, and then the hominids are to the right of that and all that. Look at the Scream image. When I finally get Kintia tonight, I pray I get her tonight, and she posts what I've companioned it with, it is going to absolutely raise the hair on the back of your neck. This is not a fictional thing. This is not imagination. This is someone who's part of our history. And we have other witnesses tonight to post in the imaging, which shows exactly where this line of inquiry is coming from. Anyway, I think it's the most important image in the entire canyon. It's who is this really? And although I'm very cautious in talking about good guys and bad guys, I get the feeling this is not a good alien. Notice I did not say family. This appears to be a genuine alien. And because of other evidence we're going to get to, hopefully by the end of the evening, this dude's agenda is not for the benefit of humankind. Very good. Richard, what oh, do you make oh, of... Oh, no, I'm, I'm not done. Okay. The photographer. Remember back to him? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As part of his Instagram um, uh, URL, do, is there an Instagram URL? You know, wh- wh- whatever his channel is on Instagram, his, his site, his website. He posts a whole bunch of pictures that he took that night at the canyon, including a shot, which is like this shot, but it's by moonlight. And his companion, his, his partner in crime, he has gone to the cliff and crawled into one of these statues with an LED you know, um, uh, set lamp with him. So he's photographed as silhouette sitting or crouching inside the, the cavern, making up one of the background figures. And I can't show anybody this yet because it's in memory. We'll get posted in some point. Would you like to guess which figure the guy crawls up into? The scream face. Yes. And was it in the mouth? Yes. So to serve man. <laughs> exactly. And there are other levels. Um, when, when I show you the association that one of my dear, 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 dear symbolic metaphorical movie friends uh, use this to send the message as to what it really means. You're going to be dazzled, absolutely dazzled. But I thought it was so cute because of all the figures on this, in this temple, that's the one that's most important. That's the one that I think could do harm to the human species. That's the one that could be the, quote, enemy. And that's the one highlighted by this otherwise really dumb photographer who takes stunning images of something ethereal and transcendent. And what was that Jungian term? Numinous. And then watches it be destroyed and doesn't even lift a finger. When he had the ability with one word to stop the destruction. You know that word was, Andrew? Stop? No. Live stream. Oh, okay. Everybody has a power, a weapon these days. If you're seeing bad guys do things they don't want to be caught on television doing, just tell them you're uplinking and instantly things change. Yeah. You know, Richard, one thing about that, I, I like you, I think that's very much a face. And for, you know, like we're looking at it now, what's interesting is that it's emerging from the shadows. I mean, that's where the canyon walls kind of meet in this sort of crevasse or this this very narrow. It's a like, it's a, it's like a dichotomy. You know, it's like this choice or that choice, yeah. this ancient history and that break point with another ancient history. And you know, what's interesting is that there's this 
opening where we can see, I know you talked about it, um, the water table coming mm-hmm. down, but I wonder if water was an important part of this ceremonially ceremonial area like almost like baptismal waters or, so, or well, something. We, well, what's underground? I mean, that, this goes back to torsion. It goes back to dowsing. It goes back to our discussions with Maria Wheatley. Given my model that maybe these things are active beacons being set on the grid at key points to begin to activate, I need to talk to Maria about is she measuring anything weird going on at Stonehenge? Mm. Because the, the grid will resonate you know, a tremor in the force is picked up by all of these sacred structures because they're solid state torsion field amplifiers, as we have measured. I love the word measured. It's, it takes it from the realm of, well, it could be. Mm. By the way, one of our listeners sent me a really interesting theory. It turns out there's more to the mathematics of the placement of this monument that I went into. And I don't remember the exact equation, but one of our listeners found another stunning, totally non-coincidental correlation. Okay, let me introduce everybody else, all right, because I'm being terribly rude. And I'll do this, as I said, with uh, full names, and then you can go look at all their bios. Uh, There's Ron Gerbron, who's our resident imaging archaeologist generalist person. Uh, There's Georgia Lambert, who is our resident metaphysician. Um, There's Andrew Curry. Uh, art history, art therapy, and figuring out what ETs are really trying to say when they do this incredible sculpture. Keith Morgan, ABC News, worked with Koppel, is our you know, savior and guardian angel in terms of electronics, imaging, um, IT stuff. Um, let's see, did I, did I, okay. Uh, one more, okay. We don't have Bob Harrison with us tonight. We may or may not have Kintia. We have Laura London, Jungian expert, and she has some very interesting synchronicities to talk about tonight. And uh, I already talked about uh, Ron and Georgia, and I think I've got everybody. Am I missing anybody? If you're, you're not Robert? here, hold up your hand. <laughs> Richard, did you get Robert? I, I didn't, didn't hear that. Um, I don't know whether Robert's with us. He's been very quiet. Mr. Morningstar. Um. <laughs> Yes, I'm here. Ah, and Robert Morningstar, our naval expert. Do we have we have Tim yet? Has has uh, Tim Saunders joined us yet? Who's our other naval expert over in Turkey? Don't everybody talk at once? No, he hasn't come oh, yet. But okay. uh, Ron Gerburn's here. Oh, excellent. Okay, Robert, um, you're kind of like the breaking news guy tonight. You sent yeah. me something from a few days ago. Apparently, when all this symbolic you know, physics, geometry, geomancy, whatever you want to call it, is going on. Something interesting has been happening over Giza. Yes, indeed. Uh, I saw it, um, learned of it today. Somebody took a videotape of um, UFO activity over the Great Pyramid of Giza. And it, um, the rather large... I'll forget your break. Let's use, let's use the, the term fleet. It looks like a large fleet yeah. of UFOs uh, maneuvering. They're not, they descend to some extent, but then they stay hovering and then start uh, moving around different configurations. Okay, we're coming up to a break here. So, well, my personal in- impression was that Elon Musk may be deploying another constellation of satellites. That's my. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I know what the Starlink things Those are much brighter. The yeah. Starlink things are dim. These are huge. These are like, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, um, oh, our, our Mexican friend. Um, Jaime Malasang. Jaime, Jaime, yeah, Jaime Poussin. Yeah. This is, this is a, yeah, it's, very, it's a very interesting, it's a very nice Christmassy UFO video to put out and centered on the most important monument on Earth. I think, I think it's significant. And why is it the most important? Come on, say it, say it. How many different ways can I say it? Because it anchors the geodetic hyperdimensional torsion field grid. Because it's the navel of the Earth. Well, it's located, well, yeah. In other words, if you draw lines through the largest masses of the continents, Giza is where you wind up as the center point. 
and in Generally, the physics, sorry, but it splits the Earth in half. Half the oceans and half the land masses are split. Yeah, by that. Yeah, and angular momentum attached to mass and rotation are the key components of how you get into the physics. So putting a vast hyperdimensional generator there, which is what the Great Pyramid and the others are, this goes back to Chris Dunn and the work he did. Um, A balancing instrument. Say again? A balancing instrument. Yeah. Uh, I find people have an easier time understanding the idea of a balancing instrument when I use the analogy of balancing the wheels on your car when you have a tire change. You don't just throw it on the car. You have to spin the drum on a spinner and watch the wobble, and then they'll move lead weights around the mm-hmm. rim until they have a steady, a steady, uh, a steady wheel. And pound so, them in with a little rubber hammer. Right, right. Pound them in at specific spots in order to balance the wheel and the rim. Yes, hyperdimensional vehicles on Earth do not make smooth rides. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want two rotations simultaneously. Hey, we are coming uh, down to the bottom of the hour. Uh, I will introduce the rest of our cast of characters tonight when we come back. Um, It's just, you know, it's kind of like, well, this really is telling us, I believe, that in fact, um, my old friend, this guy, is basically trying to tell us something across the years, across, so, let's see, why am I not hearing what I'm supposed to be hearing? Uh, Oh, that's why, okay. So we will do this. See, when you do your own engineering, you learn on the air. Arthur Clarke wrote a book and a movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey. The prime MacGuffin, a word from Hitchcock, of the movie is the human race was created or tinkered into existence by ETs millions of years ago. What's in that canyon in Utah and an obelisk resembling the monolith in the film seems tonight to be telling us the rest of the story. Stay tuned.
welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Sunday night. Sunday, December 6, 2020. A year that will definitely live in our memories for a very long time. But will it live in memory because of what has come before or what is about to come next is, in fact, the convergence events going on from Utah to Romania to California to the moon to Washington, D.C., in all its complexities and confusion. Is it all part of some grand scheme, some grand plan, some preparation for what could be coming next? Welcome back, everyone. Sunday night, December 6th. Uh, We have Laura. We've got Georgia. We've got Keith. Uh, We may not have Kintia yet. Andrew's here. Ron Gerbron. So who wants to step into this uh, whirlpool and enlighten us? I'll start. And please identify yourself tonight. This is Robert. Robert. Okay. Yeah, I've been watching this uh, the circus show around the the girder, the beam, uh, any number of words. But anyway, it's not a pot, it's not an obelisk because it doesn't have a square column with a pyramid on top. It's not a monolith because it's not made of stone. <laughs> and um, so there's a lot of. Uh, Do we have to nitpick? Word, it's word, a damn word, important word, thing. There's a lot of words going around this object. But basically, I think it's a global um, psyop and a distraction to keep people busy uh, looking at, as they say about UFOs, looking at shiny objects while other things are going on in the background as the stage managers. Boy, are we divergent in our approach to this tonight, Robert. Was that? I said, are we divergent in our approach to this? You don't see this is the real event and everything else is fake? I do. Um, the most important secret in the history of the human race is who the hell are we? There's oh, been yes, a concerted effort at several deep do, levels. Do in fact, the concept of the deep state itself was formed around this issue. Would there not be an incredible food fight when and if we're on the eve of things finally being revealed by a whole bunch of agents, some of whom have our best interests at heart and some do not. Well, I, I agree that the issue of human origins is one of the uh, best kept secrets of uh, in in world history, and the principal reason I believe is that once alien intervention in human development, science will come crashing. Darwinian science will come crashing down because um, evolutionary theory is a cornerstone of science today, and when that is debunked. Everything else is going to be questioned. Even though in our current science we have, you know, scientists, geneticists, biologists, whatever, who are doing things on a time scale that everyone said was impossible, impossible. And all it took was focus and money and a little leadership. So if we're able to intervene in our own genetic code at this accelerating asymptotic rate, if and when the conversation is introduced that aliens exist, B or ETs, and C, they actually did tinker, do you think there's an awful lot of people that are going to be surprised? Or will there be a cadre that will resist only because of their religious beliefs inside a much larger slice of humanity that are saying, well, it's about time? Well, actually, after, what, 15 years of ancient aliens, I think that the world... World general world population has been pretty well convinced that we are a product of celestial intervention, and the last skeptics who are, have to be corralled, wrestled, uh, branded with the new idea is science itself. The biggest skeptics, the ones who are 
maintaining their purview, their status, uh, their elitism um, by hiding the agent. Yeah, and you know what's about to happen on that front, Robert? It's all about to come crashing down because of one guy. His name is Elon Musk. You know, well, some. I, go ahead. He's a, he's a puzzle. He's a real puzzle. Why? You know? Why? I, I read him like a book. Um, well, I don't know what his motivation is. He wants to become the king of Mars. And, <laughs> Actually, and it's very, technically more of a people. presidential thing, but, you know, pre Trump. Don't we all? No. <laughs> no, we don't, don't all. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Ron. No, Elon Musk is really interesting in that he's uh, revealing a lot of things. Uh, But at the same time, it seems to me like he's in with um, Gates and everyone else in in creating an electronic prison around the Earth with his uh, global satellite system, the 5G system, um, down to the manipulation of human consciousness. One of the most disturbing things I've seen recently is the the, um, commercialization of VTS. You know what BTS is, right? You're going to tell us. Voice to skull technology. About 30 years, or maybe longer, in the 1950s, the CIA discovered that it was possible to transmit signals into the human brain. Well, yeah, I mean, the CIA, MKUltra, look, we have a lot of guests tonight, Robert. I don't want to have anyone monopolize the time. Laura, um, what's going on psychologically? Why do we have people looking at this like Robert and see bad things and other people like me and Andrew and see stunningly positive potential? Well, I, I don't know, but I think that uh, something that was brought up last night, which is the word projection, and that's not a negative term, uh, was used that way, but projection is, was a term coined by C.G. Jung. And I don't like it that I come on this show and I'm always talking about Jung because I come on the show to get away from Jung <laughs> because I'm steeped in it every day with my own podcast. But I want to talk about the stuff you talk about. But just very briefly. Well, it's not an either or. You know, I don't want to put, shoehorn you into a, into a you know some kind of a mold that doesn't fit. I just think we need. Yeah. I mean, Jung talked about archetypes. We are dealing with right. mega, mega, mega archetypes. How could I not well, know someone who knows the Jungian stuff and not say to her, "Please tell us what's going on." Well, if my point of view is not very popular, and that's why I try so to what? keep my mouth shut so about what? it. Well, okay. So if you want to hear what I really think, yes, you bring up the word archetypes a lot, mm-hmm. and. To me, archetypes is Jung light. Jung wasn't just about archetypes. Yes, he wrote about them. But to me, that's superficial Jung. The real work is on ourselves. And what does this mean to you? And that's the part that people don't seem to want to do, is apply Jung's theories and his work to themselves. They want to talk about other people. They want to talk about the world, but they don't want to look at themselves. So I don't care about archetypes. Uh, They're not helpful. uh, Neither is diagnosis nor medication. This is about us. And that's the tie-in for me is you're looking at what does this mean about us? And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about is this aliens or is this us? And I think ultimately this is about us. But getting back to projection, projection is not when we project we're not doing something wrong it's natural it's automatic it's where the contents of our own unconscious are perceived to be in others not just other people but other things too so you also mentioned the word numinous and you and i had some <laughs> private conversation about that yes yeah, so inside joke is, inside joke yes yeah, inside joke and that is a term that jung used a lot and it is to describe things that have a deep emotional resonance, you know, psychologically associated with our own experiences. And it comes from the Latin word numinosum, which refers to um, like a dynamic agency or, or an effect that's independent of our conscious will. So again, it's the unconscious that's driving the, driving the bus, running the show. Mm-hmm. So, or our interaction with the physics and consciousness. 
that's yeah, that's your uh, that's your field there. So uh, I also believe that this is a synchronicity that's happening. And I've just had so many things pop into my mind when I was listening to you guys talk. I'm curious as to why the word monolith and how the word monolith was originally attached to, well, so the first one that was found was the one in Utah. The one in Utah, yeah. Right. Robert correctly said, this is not an obelisk. I agree. You know, I was, we've, I'm sure we've all traveled and seen obelisks. It's not an obelisk and it's not a monolith because it's not made out of stone. Now, I used that word when I had the synchronicity around it back in October when I contacted you um, because Professor Sean Dasani, who's the editor of the Red Book and the Black Books, I was preparing to interview him for my podcast and he used the word monolith. He he used it. I mean, it's not literal, right? It's It's a metaphor for the Black Books, for how he designed the Black Books. So I just find it curious that when this pillar, which is really a better word for it, was found in Utah that the word monolith was attached to it. And then Andrew posted a link to this fourth monolith. I mean, I've lost count. I heard that there was one in France. So this recent one was found in England uh, on the coast of the Isle of Wight, which is where David Icke lives. Um, and, and there, it is right, and they're they're still calling it monolith. So well, uh, let me tell you where I, I, I. This is kind of like reconstructive surgery. Uh, <clears throat> and Ron, you obviously have some input too. So let me, you know, say a couple things first, and then I'll segue to you. <clears throat> Thank you. The, the 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 first detailed set of images to come out of this thing in Utah was from the state of Utah, the Department of Public Service who posted some videos, some really high-res imaging and all that, and they took their views from behind one side, looking with the cliff in the, in the backgrounds and, the, and, the, and the, the crevice in it, the cleft in the cliff. So it only looked to me like a rectangle, like the monolith in 2001. And it was Keith who had seen other images, I'm not sure where. He said it was actually not square, it wasn't a a thin rectangle like the movie monolith one by four by nine. It was in fact an equilateral triangle. Well, that immediately set off all kinds of alarm bells, you know, two dimensional triangle lifted to a third dimension, tetrahedron, all the numbers. I looked at latitudes after the Reddit folks had figured out where it was on Google earth. I looked at orientation and the 19.5s keep coming and coming and coming And then, of course, there seems to be one of those carved in the cliff. And so the redundancy of the physics and the physics and the Arthurian monolith education teaching machine in the film impact on humankind, on Homo erectus forward, all of that came tumbling out of the meme closet. So the monolith was irrevocably attached as the meme to this spire of, of steel sticking up in the middle of a canyon, even if nobody noticed what was in the canyon besides the monolith. That's how I'm reconstructing this. And then everybody else has gotten very nitpicky and wants to know they know more about monoliths than anybody else. And it's all pointless because it's the symbology of the geometry of the real object, which is stunningly open to being decoded and to telling us about the larger pattern and meaning. My Richard, turn. yes, Richard, Andrew. You mentioned the word oh, projection. Robert, you the yeah. word, this is Robert. Um, you mentioned the word projection, and I think that the projection is actually those who wish to describe this thing as monolith are projecting a wish upon this object, and the wish is that it is. Hey, Robert, you're too damn thought. down in the weeds. Take the big picture. Most people down with a clue about the you know, monolith and an obelisk and a spire and everyone a sphere and all this. And they don't care. That. They know it's everyone something wondrous that's different in their universe, and they're talking about it in the most accessible <clears throat> public uh, you know, uh, 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 venue they, they can think of, which is this film. Well, I just want Richard, to say I think they do care. The projection is, is the wish that it is a monolith and it represents... So what? So what? It's irrelevant. 
the numbers tell us it's exactly what was the numbers are telling us it's exactly what was in incorporated in the monolith in the film by Arthur. Yes, Ron, go ahead. You're making you're making okay, a lot I'm, of differences. I, I, no, I'm very, saying uh, facts Robert, that are easily Robert, checkable. Robert, wait just a second. Uh, I'm just on the subject of language. First off, Laura, uh, if I use the word archetype when I'm talking about ancient Egyptian statues, then or any references or extensions of those, I promise you, I'm not talking about Jung and seldom anyone else relative to that. Uh, relative to this thing, the reason that it gets called a monolith is because that's a comfortable term. It's, it's a, uh, Richard alluded to this. It's figurative adaptation. It's the way language evolves. It doesn't matter where the word comes from or what it meant originally. It's given an appellation relative to its status in the way everybody sees it. And since everyone took this as something that was a little metaphorical and had something to do maybe with aliens or human origins or some bigger picture, something other than the stuff we've been assaulted with in the news all the time for months now, uh, then, you know, they take the comfortable word. Everybody knows they got they have an image in their mind of a uh, monolith. I agree on the subject of an obelisk. It has a specific <laughs> determined reason. But on the other hand, I'm waiting for someone to come forward and say, oh, my God, it's part of an Internet conspiracy. And that thing in Washington is another one of them. It's just been there longer. But now they turned it on. See the light blinking on the top. I mean, this is where it goes off into the weeds. No, it doesn't. uh, No, it doesn't, because it's all embodied in our history, Ron. You hit it right on the head. This is a kiss and kin of the big thing sticking up like a phallus in the middle of Washington, D.C., in the middle of our, quote, current democratic government. Right. And obelisks are meant to be uh, metaphorically in a mythological sense. They're meant to be a phallic object. That's why they're shaped that way. (laughs) Uh, You mean you mean you mean with the point on top? Yeah, just the fact just the. See, I think we're getting far too down in the weeds because it's like, you know, when I say, would you like something to blow? Language is important. Would you like something to blow your nose with? You're going to say, yeah, hand me a Kleenex. Technically, that's a brand name. It's not a tissue. The tissue is generic. Kleenex is a brand name. Monolith is now the general common apprehension of something that's narrow and sticks up in a place where it shouldn't be. My take. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I no, I agree with that. I mean, why uh, we could make up another word, say no, we're going to call this an abrasics now, <laughs> or something, um, you know, and then everybody says, oh, oh, and that shifts it. But you see, I'm just saying they t- they made the comfortable word, and um, so I, uh, Laura, don't uh, don't credit so much. I, I would say I, uh, it's not everything is a Jungian archetype. I don't think. Um, that's that's all. I let me stick in that when it gets around to it, uh, there are some new pictures up. They were put up last night after the show was basically over. So there's there is some new stuff up there if people want to go look at the uh, okay. web page. Okay, I'm not. I just want to jump in. I'm not fretting Please. anything. I was <laughs> adding to the conversation, and I'm the one that pointed out that not everything is an archetype. And every time Jung's name comes up, everybody wants to jump to archetypes, and it's been driving me crazy because I really don't care about archetypes. So other people can talk about archetypes. With me, with Jung, with what I do, I don't talk about archetypes. So anybody else want to talk about it, they're free to. So please don't put that on me. I'm not interested in talking about archetypes. I just thought it was interesting that the word. Oh no, I didn't mean to imply that you were. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mean to imply that you were. You said I was. So. No, no, I said you were. I said you were concerned with it, which you obviously were, because you mentioned it. You know, most people. Yeah, I thought we would discuss it. Well, what's to discuss? It's not a what would you what would you describe it as? A pillar is good. I thought of that too. That's that's a good word. But it, that word. doesn't have any it doesn't yeah. yeah, it doesn't sound sexy. You know, it's not a, it doesn't have a cachet <laughs> of mystery about it. Well the it's, first one that was found in the Utah desert was reminiscent and reminded me of the opening scene of two thousand one when it was out there in a natural setting. And what I was getting to was Richard, how 
um, the other exchange we had was about this inorganic shape being found in an organic setting, which elicited things and the, the numinosity of it and everything. So the first one, and actually the Romanian one was in out in the middle of nowhere, but then the one in front of the candy store and it, it, things started to change. Uh, Andrew, do we have any recent information on the one uh, on the Isle of White or Wright? I always forget how to pronounce that. White. White. Well, I know uh, Bob Harrison sent us a video and the story on it this morning, and I just got an email from one of our listeners. Thank you very much, whoever that was. Much appreciated. Um, same thing, um, and Laura mentioned it too in the back channels here. I don't know much, Richard, other than it's very it's got a very reflective surface. You know, one thing that I'm noticing through all this, and it's something that you tracked back originally, Richard, was all of these phallic symbols appearing everywhere on the earth, if you want to really nail it down, um, are all temporary and very recent, whereas the one in Utah, Richard, has mm. been there for a while. And I mean, I think that's the big difference here i mean i mean the satellite photographer the satellite imagery i think proves that that the one in utah has been there but i do have one curious i have one well, question it, we, we we know from the google earth archive that it appeared sometime between august of 2015 and october of 2016 and my feeling based on the fact that nothing then was done for four years that trump was president is it was intended as part of the hillary disclosure plan that bassett talks about and when Trump surprised everybody, that plan was put on hold until four years had passed and it was decided whether he would be elected or not. And given that the trend curve is he's not been reelected, whoever's behind this, using one of the biologists on board that chopper to basically say, let's go back and take a look. There's something down there that opened the floodgates for what has now occurred on the eve of other disclosure events. Yeah, and I have two more things to add to this. Sorry, Robert, I'll, I'll make this really quick. I hear you coming in. Um, number one, the this pillar, this this object in Utah, it seems really pristine for something that's been there for four years. I mean, I, I don't know how the weathering works or the Well, wind stainless storms. steel is called stainless steel because once you create this thin, thin veneer of, of oxidation, it basically doesn't oxidize rapidly at all. Okay, so it could just hold its form beautifully. But see, I think, I think that these are very special surfaces. I think that what we found in the one in Romania is that that one panel shows different yeah. imaging. The way yeah. you do that is you put in what's called a ruled hologram. Harrison, last night, sent us an enhanced version of my number one image you know, from the uh, Utah DPS site. And yeah. he's now demonstrated there are faces in the reflection of the pillar in the canyon in Utah. And I think the surface, because we never really got close-ups of the surface. This could be yeah. done by a device that apparently is commercially available, courtesy of uh, Keith Morgan's database, called a laser pecker. Oh, gosh. I know, I know. <laughs> Language is moving in the weird directions. Anyway, apparently you can do this by ruling with a laser cutter on a, on a prepared piece in an average home lab for like six, 700 bucks, you know, is the high end price of this mm. thing, computer controlled. So whoever put these up is apparently preparing the surface. So you're seeing other imagery in the surface. In this case, in the Canyon, it reflects what's around it, which is this stunning, you know, God knows how many million years. It looks to me like if, if this is 66 million, it's a day, but that's the history is depicting going from dinosaurs to us. Well, on that note, Richard, Robert did a, I asked Robert to do uh, a slowdown, as you had asked, a slowdown sort of slow-mo of the Romanian filming of the Romanian uh, pillar. And he did a beautiful job. Now that was sent to Cynthia. So it, hopefully we'll get it up. But like you said, oh, we'll have it in the archives for folks. Then, okay. Okay. It's radio. Yeah. Describe it, please, please. <laughs> well, I should let Robert do it. Um, oh, Robert. Yeah. If you did the work, yeah, by all means, describe it. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, Andrew told me of uh, your request, and uh, he's hard-pressed with uh, hard work he has to get in on time. So I took it on, and it was a fun, a fun project. I called it uh, the Romanian Pillar, 
Laura. We agree on, uh, on the same <laughs> word. The Romanian filler, a slow motion analysis. And he pointed out uh, to me that you wanted to see a loop of that section where he goes around behind it and there's that the on, shadow. On the shadowed uh, side on the base. Yeah. And um, I uh, tinkered around with it and uh, something very curious. At, at one point, uh, at one single point, maybe two frames, a face appears. It's reflecting. It's a very reflective object. It's reflecting the ground. But at one point, a face appears, which to all intents and purposes, uh, it does look to me like a gray alien. So I left that frozen in, in the final frames. Mm. But I want to go back to something earlier. Well, wait, wait, before you leave the face, did you see it morphing? Because it morphs between several the different. The is due to the the fellow walking around. It's his the ang- the changes in the camera angle that caused the morphing. But there no, is no, one no, no, point. no, 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 no! You're missing the whole point. <clears throat> you if haven't a, seen the. If a, <laughs> hang on. <clears throat> if the surface of the <clears throat> of the of the monolith obelisk pillar whatever yeah. has been ruled like a rolling grating, fine vertical lines ruled into the aluminum with a substrate that they're used to reflect or refract. As you change the camera, that, as, you, that as you change the camera angle, the image has to change and morph one to the other to the other by design, like a reflective ruled hologram. That's what I saw, but we couldn't slow it down. So that's what I'm expecting to see when I finally get to see your amazing work. Richard, oh, um, right on that note, on that note, we have to morph out of here for a moment. Oh, are we at the bottom of the Wait. hour, or top of the hour, or whatever? Oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. Amazing the things that happen on the other side of midnight. Okay, let me do this, and then we'll do this. We are, in fact, on the other side of midnight, grappling kind of with the ineffable. Is this set of monoliths a pattern? Is it a downer? Is it a distraction from real stuff? Or is it, in fact, the message? Is this what we're supposed to be resonating with? And everything else is a distraction. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. <laughs>